Hey, just a quick announcement before we get to our show today. Want to talk a little bit more about the Afterlife Awareness Conference. Not sure if you guys had a chance to check out that website, afterlifeawarenessconference.com. But Mike and I are really excited to have been invited to come down to do the live stream of this event. And we are really trying to help these guys sell their last 100 tickets. I know tickets are going actually pretty quick now. So if you have been on the fence or considering it, I'd like you guys to really check out their website afterlifeconference.com and you know the material that you can expect at this conference isn't just going to be lecture you know all day for three days here Um, you know Terry Daniel who puts this conference together really does a great job I can tell how selective and protective she is of the people that she brings in to teach about all of these different subjects they are phenomenal teachers people who have been in the field for a very long time and it really addresses everything from scientific research on to evidence of life after death to mystical and psychosocial practices for assisting the dying and the bereaved in their journeys. Um, You know, if you go, you're going to have a workshop basically on everything here. Um, If you need more information or want more teaching about bereavement, they are going to have um, workshops on that. Uh, They are teaching people different approaches to grief, also trying to look at the mystical rituals to include in grief ceremonies and when people are in the process of transitioning. Uh, These are great trainings for counselors, uh, anyone who is working with anyone or maybe from a personal level, if you are going through or anticipating a death of a loved one, or if you are diagnosed with a terminal illness and are coming to terms with your mortality, you are really going to be able to get a lot out of this conference. Um, They also take a look at the scientific research, which I personally love. Uh, Each year, they are bringing more and more people in the academic world and the scientific world to come together to to start to talk about the survival of consciousness after death. That includes topics about after-death communication, near-death experience, out-of-body experience, and mediumship. And they are also really honored to be able to welcome theologians and religious scholars who have much to teach about everyone about the afterlife concepts throughout history. This conference also takes a look at higher consciousness in the clinical setting. So that's kind of like for people like me, medical professionals, people who want to try to combine and work with spirituality in hospitals, uh, hospice or medical facilities. This conference is also going to take a look at spiritual exploration and afterlife communication and the out-of-body experience to give you skills on how to do that. And it's just really filled with so much. If you guys go to afterlifeconference.com, you can take a look at the agenda. They have most of their workshops already listed and up so you can see who is going to be teaching. Some of the more prominent people who are recognized at this conference are going to be psychic medium Thomas John, the mystics scholar and theologian Andrew Harvey, the Monroe Institute's William Buhlman, Terry Daniel, Monica Williams Murphy, medium and intuitive counselor Suzanne Geisman, Susan Northrup, who's a professional medium, and shamanic practitioner Linda Fitch. So again, guys, afterlifeconference.com, check it out, buy your ticket, let's sell these tickets out, and we will go ahead and put up our live stream ticket once these tickets sell out. So head on over, spread the word for us. Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. 
at the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. We have a great show for you today, and I would like to read off 10 signs that you need to listen to this podcast. This podcast today is all about breaking up with your relationship with being busy. So here are 10 signs that you might want to continue listening. Do you frequently opt out of doing something for yourself when one of your loved ones requests your time? Do you have a mixed sense of doing too much and not getting enough done? Is busy your new normal? Do you feel controlled by your schedule? Do you eat at least one meal each day while standing up or doing something else? Are you experiencing weight shifts, skin issues, or hair loss? Are you not getting enough sleep? Are you struggling with insomnia or have low libido? The things that you once enjoyed taking time for now feel like inconveniences. Are you often feeling overwhelmed or anxious? And last but not least, are you constantly feeling like you are rushing just to keep up with yourself? If you answered maybe one or all of these, I would stay tuned because I would like to introduce to you our guest today, Yvonne Talley, who is the author of Breaking Up With Busy and leads meditation and de-stressing programs for corporations, individuals, and private groups in the Silicon Valley. An NLP master practitioner, Yvonne co-founded Poised Inc., a Pilates and wellness training studio, and is the founder of the Sisterhood of the Traveling Scarves, a charity that provides headscarves to cancer patients. Yvonne, welcome to our show. Good morning. Thank you. Yes, this is this is a great book for me because I tend to be a very busy woman. Um, and, uh, so, you know, reading through it, it was really helpful to really, um, take a look at myself and see, you know, what have I been doing to really manage my schedule and all the businesses that I own and to make sure that I'm also kind of taking care of myself. So I think, uh, even though this was, you wrote the book more for the perspective of the busy woman, um, or the overscheduled woman, I still also think that men could definitely relate to this podcast as well if they are on the go constantly. And if any men that were listening can really relate to those uh, top 10 reasons why they might need to break up with busy. Yeah. And that's a really good point because even though the book is really focused and geared towards women, because there are some differences, some major differences, and just the background of that for the past 20 plus years, the bulk of my clientele have been women as well as men, but the bulk of it has been women. And so there's some, there's three significant things that kind of get set up for this busy culture. So what it started out as being just this temporary thing that we did in the day. I have a busy afternoon or a busy weekend. Now it's become day in, day out and this constant treadmill of keeping up, keeping up. So, and women are much more um, subject to that than men for a couple of reasons. And I'll go back to that economics, you know, two thirds of women working outside of the home still are caring for uh, school age children. And we still take on 80%, 80% of what's called non-paid work. That is the nuts and bolts of what it takes to make our life go. All of the chores, all of the domestic um, responsibilities. So we're still taking 80% of that on. And of course we know now within the news that women generally make about 80 cents on the dollar compared to women. And if you're a woman of uh, compared to men, and if you're a woman of color, that drops down to about 63 cents. So that's just some, some concrete 
facts about why we ended up being even more busy. But we have to back up a little bit and the culture that we share, and that is with technology being such a big part of everyone's day and with the promise that it was going to make things more convenient for us, and it has in many ways, and it has also allowed us to mobilize very quickly for not only social movements, but for getting the word out for things that are important and also medical advancements, just to name a couple of things that technology has done so well. In addition to that, there's this addictive quality to it. And so it's infiltrated into our daily lives in so many ways. And just with social media alone, we get into what we call the comparison game. And these are things, the technology aspect affects all of us. So it's something that we can share. And in your intro, yes, men, stay tuned because we need your help just as you need ours. We need to do this together. And also just by uh, being aware of some of these particular challenges that we face as women, uh, it, it's it's good to be open to that and also to learn from that. And I think we can learn from each other. You know, men don't ever, I don't ever, I've never heard a client say, a male client say, I feel really guilty going to play golf this weekend. So we could take a page out of their playbook by dropping that guilt and allowing ourselves to self-care and self-nurture, because that's a big piece that's missing in all of this. Yes, I would I would definitely agree with that. And I'd love to know the inspiration behind the book and to let our listeners know a little bit more about your background. Yeah, well, you know, they say to write about what you know. So I was so busy teaching others how to have a live a vibrant and healthy lifestyle. And I was growing a business and raising my daughter as a single mom that even I missed all of my signs of being busy and overscheduled. You know, the fast pace, the sleepless nights, the cram schedules and all of that landed me in the hospital thinking I was having a heart attack when in fact I was having a panic attack. And anyone who's ever experienced that, you really feel as though this is it. This is a curtain call. Things are done right here. So it was enough of a big scare for me to assess. And in that, my life at that point, and in that moment, I felt, April, I felt embarrassed, almost like a fraud. Here I was, this organic eating, healthy, exercising, positive thinking, meditating person, teaching people how to live a vibrant and healthy life. And here I was not even taking my own medicine, so to speak. So it was enough of a wake up call. And the the irony of it was that I had been teaching my clients these really valuable solutions and practices over the years and not using them for myself. So I was that that cobbler without the shoes. And I had to really pause, assess, come up with solutions for myself first so that I could help others do the same. And that's what happened. The book, the book birthed itself from necessity from that, from that experience. Yeah. I was also hoping you can talk a little bit about neuro-linguistic programming. I know when I introduced you, we called it NLP and some people might not be familiar with those letters. Um, but I was first introduced to NLP when I was going through my own hypnotherapy training. And what was funny was, uh, as we were being trained in hypnotherapy, one class that we had an NLP practitioner came in and he was like, well, hypnotherapy is all well and good, but with NLP, you don't have to go through this long induction phase. And, you know, here we are setting up like a whole hour, hour and a half for these clients. And then this guy comes in and he starts doing these techniques and it was just as effective, 
quicker, to be quite honest, um, and really just stunningly amazing to see how people responded so quickly. And I noticed that you incorporated some of those techniques kind of in the part two of the book um, to help people in the ways that they can, um, you know, kind of shift the subconscious mind and maybe move, begin to move out of their belief systems and stop certain emotions and old patterns in their tracks. So can you give us a little bit of an overview of what neuro-linguistic programming is? Yes, and, and yeah, it really is a, a, a variety of techniques for improving communication and personal growth. And the neuro refers to the neurology of how we process our experiences via our senses. And that's a very important thing, our senses, because those are that's another, we'll talk about that in a minute, I'm sure. Um, the linguistics refers to the language we use to communicate those experiences. And then we apply meaning to that information which we decipher via our senses to develop our own unique language. And we all have that. So the programming is how we communicate that information to ourselves, because we have to do that first so that we can achieve our goals and then how we communicate that information to others as well. So the results of this are strategies, strategies for what we want to do and what we want to create. And oftentimes what we don't want to create. So what I found is that NLP is even more potent when blended with mindfulness practices such as meditation and positive visualization. So I blended the NLP approach with several mindfulness practices. And the thing that I and I'm not a hardcore straight line NLPer because I do think that it's a tool to use. What I love is that what I find so valuable and so functional is that very often we get wrapped up and stuck in the story. Again, going back to that neuro, you know, the, the neuro portion of this, how we've taken in the experience and then the language we're com communicating that experience through. Well, that language, we have a tendency to just go round and round and round over the same story. I can't believe this happened. Here we go again. Every single time this happens, this, you know, this is what is, is going to take place. And we get stuck in that story. So what NLP helps us do as a practitioner, we look for those cues and we can pull out the pieces, the nuggets, so to speak, to move that client, that person or ourselves from the story into creating a process, a resourceful process that will help us move towards what we want to create. Because most of the time we're stuck in that piece of going back and forth to what we don't want to create, what we want to avoid, what we fear. So th this book really and the techniques in it help us move from what we're trying to avoid to what we want to bring more of into our lives and what we want to create. And can you give the personal example that you gave in the book with your phone number and having to recite that backwards in the middle of one of these uh, examples of NLP? Yeah, that was really, that was so, uh, so surprising for me. And it's, it's a tiny, tiny piece, as, as you said, an example of what a larger technique looks like. Uh, but I was at, I was introduced to neurolinguistic programming years ago um, with my mother. We'd gone to a seminar on it. And out of reasons I still can't define, when they asked for a volunteer to come up to the front, I raised my hand, which is so unlike me. I, I'm usually hiding out in the back and just taking in the information. So up I went, and uh, the practitioner there, I was recounting, again, I was in my story, recounting a really difficult time in my life, um, trying 
to be as open and vulnerable as possible while still hiding behind all of, you know, what I was trying to keep within myself. And as I got more and more into the story, even though, April, I wasn't expressing it or talking about it in, in the way that experience really felt, uh, but the practitioner could see the body language changing, even the skin color and tone changing. And I was really getting wrapped up into it. And he and my eyes started to well up and I could feel my, t- my throat tighten, my chest kind of tighten. And out of nowhere, in the middle of this experience that I'm having basically with myself of recounting this very difficult time in my life, the practitioner says, Yvonne, say your phone number backwards. And it stopped me just dead in my tracks because I was so surprised that I had to now pay attention to reciting my phone number backwards, which if he'd said, tell me your phone number, I wouldn't have had any problem. But saying it backwards, I had to now come into the present moment. I had to get out of that space, that emotional, mental space that I was in, and just immediately, like a superhero, right back into the moment, present. And that was, I had to recount now my phone number backwards. So what is that? What does that technique do? It helps us, as it did me, to get out of that repetitive feelings, situations, whether it's sorrow, recounting a story of whatever it is, and allows us to get back into the present. And what I might compare that to is you get up in the morning, you get in your car, and you drive to work. We don't even think about it. We end up in the parking lot, we go up the staircase, we walk into our office, whatever that looks like for you. But what about the morning you get up, you get in your car, you get to the end of the driveway, and there's a big detour sign. Now you have to pay attention. Every turn you're paying attention to, every stoplight you're paying attention to, you're in the present moment because you don't know what's coming next down the line and you've got to be aware. So that is just a practical example of being in the moment. And that little technique, what's your phone number backwards, helped me get out of that space that I was in, which was completely unresourceful emotions that weren't going to do me any good to work through the situation, to come back into the moment and then move from that in a practical technique that would actually help me on a long-term basis break that practice and move on to something that was more resourceful. Great. Thanks for sharing that because I really, I, I like that. And, you know, I'm also assuming too, like with that technique, once you have that awareness and you're able to kind of separate or see yourself kind of hanging on to that old story and then coming into the present moment, that repetition of that and catching yourself in the old story moments or in those uh, deep despair or emotions is what eventually can kind of pop you out into a, a new pattern. A healthier pattern? Yeah, and I wanted to say that it, you know, again, that example I, I love because it just was that first time that I experienced anything like that. But the, the part of the, the NLP practice is it, it has to be authentic and meaningful and with the care of the client in mind. So that's really important. So that's why I say in the book, I've merged this with mindful practices and practical ways that we can get ourselves, as you say, pop back into that moment, that present and to, to resourceful behaviors. So what are and habits, because that's really what that is. If, if we're recounting a difficult time in our life or we're saying, oh, I just, I can't lose weight. I never can lose weight. You know, I start and then I just can't and I get to three or four days into it. Or, you know, I just can't get the job that I want every time I do, you know, every time I look at, you know, on the, on the ads, I just can't get the job I want. So 
what happens with that? Well, then we start to set ourselves up subconsciously to actually look for the things that aren't going to work. So what neurolinguistics and mindfulness does is it helps us now, okay, we've stated this, the, stated the problem. Now let's take that problem and turn it into the solution. I never can find the job that I want. What do I need to make that want? What is it that I'm really saying? I want, and then what kind of job? I want a job that. And that allows us then to take that turn it into the solution, create a new story around it. Now we're going to use a story that actually works for us. We're going to meditate that. And we're going to put it into our subconscious. And what happens, April, is that we now start to just subconsciously begin to look for things that fit our story. Great. Thank you. Um, now, what I want to ask you is, you know, as a, a female entrepreneur, um, like I said in the beginning, I tend to be very busy, but I wanted to ask you, what's the difference between a person who is really busy and a person who is busy, but having a really fun time doing what they're doing? Because I, you know, people will come up to me and they'll, you know, they'll, they'll joke around with me and they'll say, when do you ever have time to sleep? Or, oh, I was going to contact you, but I know that you're just so busy because you're always doing, you know, all these different great things. But then when I came to your book and you, um, proposed, you know, three questions to ask yourself of what motivates you to continue your busy pace, what value does your busy pace provide you? What do you want and what do you need to make it happen? Um, I find that even though I, I do have a lot of stuff going on, I don't really feel drained from the work that I do. I am having fun, but I would probably be considered to be one of these busy women. Yeah. And I think there's a difference, April, between busy and productive. So okay. if you, if you, so productive is we have a plan, we have priorities, we will say no to things. Busy, we typically say yes to everything, everything that comes to, to us, every question that's, every request and I know, as far as every, most requests, the, the things that people want us to do, when we find that our motivation, when, when we find that we're saying yes to these things or when we're committing to things and we kind of had that feeling in the pit of our stomach is, oh, why did I say yes to that? Here I go again. This is one more thing. I can't go to the gym or I can't have lunch or dinner with my best friend that I haven't seen in 10 years because I have to do X. So there's a difference. There's that feeling of kind of dread. Here I go again. And that first example, we opt out of doing things for ourselves when someone close to us asks for our time and the things that we once enjoyed now become just another burden. Those are real signs that busy is not working for you. What you've described is you clearly have a passion about what you do. You found a way to manage it where you're still nurturing. I'm assuming you're still nurturing your relationships, your significant relationships. You're still giving yourself self-care. So you're maintaining a weight that's healthy. You're maintaining sleep patterns that are healthy for you. You're, re you're maintaining uh, all of the things that you need to do to keep your energy in a space, in a healthy place in space. So if all those things are yes then you've managed to find a way to be active and passionate and involved in your life. 
And we may look at that as busy, but you've managed in a way where you don't have those other things going on. You're not an insomniac. Your relationships aren't suffering because you're overly distracted. You don't have a sense of dread or resentment that's going on when you're doing the things that you're doing. You have a sense of pleasure and joy. You understand what motivates you. You understand the value it brings into your life. And you've discovered what you need to get to your wants, which is very important. And so there's a difference, big difference, because it's that one last piece that we always forget to talk about, and that is self-care. And so if you're giving yourself self-care, then you can sustain that lifestyle. If not, it's going to break eventually. Yeah. And that's what I kind of loved about your book, because it it really is a nice self inventory for women to read and to say, okay, what am I doing? What am I not doing? Because, you know, definitely along the way, I probably had a lot of the things that you describe in the book, but usually one of my indicators to let me know that I need to do something differently, uh, similar to what you shared with your story is the physical body. You know, when my physical body starts to gain more weight, which over the past year it did, you know, so those were one of the things that I checked off. And, um, you know, I started having some neck pain because I was sitting for very long with clients. And so once that started to happen, um, I had to look at that and I made adjustments. I then said, okay, well, I'm not going to see seven clients back to back. I'm going to shorten my days. I'm adding in more exercise. You know, I have, now I have to go to physical therapy and fix this up a little bit, you know? So, but to me, that was a bit of a wake up call to say, okay, we need to, we need to refocus, get back in alignment. You know, your body starting to tell you something that this schedule might have worked years ago, but it's it's starting to not to work right now. So what do we need to do to change that? And then, you know, the other thing that you mentioned is sometimes that fear and those old belief patterns can come in. So anytime an entrepreneur has to cut back on hours, usually that means sometimes that they're cutting back on money, right? So I also had to explore that to take a look at, all right, well, what's the old patterning and the fear around abundance and money and you know, how can I do this and still take care of myself and not feel guilty or panicked, you know, because I am cutting something here. And, you know, so it's kind of, you have that whole conversation that goes on in your head when you are putting yourself first and really initiating that self-care. And that was a little bit of a process that I went through this year in reshifting and getting back into, um, you know, a good, strong, healthier state. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point, that conversation that goes on in our head. A couple of things happen with that. Uh, You moved from acknowledgement to then action. You acknowledged the pain in your neck, and you made an action that would help you now create a solution that would help you feel better. And I think what is so important is that, and this is what what I did in the book, was these are the signals Here's a quick way that you can flip, change, adjust, or uh, reinvent, if you will, what it is that you're doing, focusing on, and bringing into your life. So it's being aware. It's that sense of awareness. And once we're aware of something, we can't undo that awareness. So it's being aware of those signals. That's why I ask the questions, or that's why I state those, those 10 signs of being busy. Because once we become aware of those, then when they start to pop up, crop up, or, or become more evident, we can then make an adjustment. And that's really what this is about, is the adjustments. And that conversation, I want to go back to the conversation in our head, because what happens is we get stuck in the loop of acknowledgement rather than moving to action. 
we get that's the story we start to talk about the pain in my neck every time I sit down oh if I don't work I'm going to be out of money uh, you know I've got to make this much money and like you said you've shifted that to that place of abundance because again and when we talk about money especially as women, it's one of those topics that many women are not exposed to, to be able to be engaged with in a really comfortable way. So we come from it with a bit of uncertainty and, and quite a bit of fear often, and also not being able to practice really healthy, vibrant ways to think about money. It's just energy. If you think about money as just energy then we can start to attract that energy more. We can create meditations around that. We can create act, uh, solutions and techniques around that. So that, again, is focusing on what we want to create and bring into our lives. And I'll just say one more thing, and that is about the power of beliefs. You know, our beliefs are derived from our past experiences and define much of our personal reality. So I have this technique about cleaning out your belief closet because a lot of times we're still conducting our lives using beliefs that no longer work for us. You know, they we don't they don't val they don't have the value or the importance, but we're still using them within our lives because it's just there. We haven't thought about it before. We haven't adjusted them. We haven't let them cultivate in a different way. So being really kind of taking that inventory, as you said earlier, inventory about our beliefs and what are what's working for us will also be a great tool for being able to move out of that busy state of mind and doing, 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 and also enhance other ways in your life, your communication, your intimacy, your emotional intimacy. All of those things can be uplifted and created much more vibrantly if we're aware of what the beliefs and the values we hold. So one of the things that I really loved, and I don't know if it's because I'm a little bit of a checklist person, but you gave in your book um, the profiles of the overscheduled woman, women. And I was wondering if you wouldn't mind maybe going over some of those so our listeners can get a little bit of an idea of maybe which one they might fall into. Yeah, so that was a really interesting process for me because it, it's the OSW, the overscheduled woman, and these were definitely the types of women that I was dealing with on a on a regular basis. So there's the pleaser, the time optimist, the perfectionist, the sorority sister, and the alpha. So the pleaser, she um, she seems to be a real prevalent type. So she's the one that you call in a crunch. She's generous. She's always willing to help. She's dependable and prides herself on getting things done with an I can attitude, which is very much about the overscheduled woman. I can attitude, get it done, make it the best, always be top, always continue to strive further and leap higher and then repeat, repeat, repeat. So that's really the OSW. And the pleaser, she spends a lot of time doing things for other people. And in the process, she finds it difficult to allow others to do things for herself. So her self-care is really about discovering herself and creating space where she can allow people to do things for her rather than always being the one that's going to be the one doing it for somebody else. And also to have this sense uh, within her that pleasing, she doesn't always have to be the one that's going to make things pleasant, that it is okay that not everyone is going to like her or accept what she's doing. So it's really about her getting a sense of who she is separate from other people's 
affirmations and opinions of her. And I would say on the other end of that spectrum is the alpha. And the alpha is a natural leader, very magnetic personality, strong communicator, highly motivated and confident. And she's that she's that woman that you see. In fact, it's really interesting. There's been several studies done where if you look at a group of people, and I'll use women as this example, standing in a circle talking, typically the alpha, the feet of everyone else in that circle will be slightly tipped and pointed towards the alpha within that group. It's 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 really interesting to see these, these uh, connections. So um, she's fantastic, by the way. Like I said, she lights up a room. But when she gets overly aggressive and overly domineering, that's when she pushes people away from her. So she finds that emotional intimacy can be really challenging. And although she's very good about uplifting others, what she needs to do is back up a bit and let others shine. In other words, lighten up on herself, let go of control a little bit, a little bit at a time is okay, so that she can create that space around her and within her that people will feel more confident and invited into. And I think it's really important to point out that women can be strong, gentle, and assertive, and confident, and with great self-esteem, but still allow a space for others to do things for them. It's not one or the other, and this is where the alpha really struggles. So those would be a couple of deeper examples of the, of the five, five types. And, and that kind of leads into what you're talking about, um, is vulnerability. And you did discuss that in your book as well of where, you know, you can be soft and you can open and ask for help. And so would you like to talk a little bit about vulnerability? Yeah, it's, you know, one of those things that, uh, when there's fear, that's going to be the base of anything, of a lot of things, you know, we're fearful of the unknown. We're fearful of the uncertainties that that brings. We're fearful of being judged, many of us. So this idea of being vulnerable is exactly opposite when fear is leading our thoughts and our actions. And what happens is when we are vulnerable, we set up a dynamic, I believe, we set up a dynamic that there's a more there's more balance to the give and take, the receiving and the giving. And to be vulnerable in a space and invite uncertainty in and have the confidence to know, even if you're, even if you're unsure, if you, if you just have that moment where you say, I have the confidence to know that even if I'm vulnerable and I let my guard down, I can still handle it. I can still be who I am and it is okay. And and I think that's really important to create emotional intimacy, we have to be vulnerable. To create deep, dynamic connections with others, we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable. Because if we have our guard up, if we have that wall up, how can anyone penetrate the deep core of who we are? And now, now we're talking about a soulful connection, a spirited, soulful connection. And in, in, in uncertainty, in uncertainty, and I think vulnerability and uncertainty, really, they, they walk a path together. And it is in uncertainty that creative and creative opportunities can just be so fully present. Things we never thought of before. Possibilities come to us when we allow uncertainty to be in our lives. 
Yeah. And I think if that vulnerability does begin to get blocked, a woman will know that they'll be able to sense that because then that will create some other challenges along the way. Um, if, like you said, if that wall gets put up and they're fearful of the vulnerability and fearful of the uncertainty and allowing them, uh, allowing themselves to go into that space. Yeah. And it's like the relationship, uh, you know, as a, if we're, if we want to have, a, I'll use this as an example, if a woman or a man is looking to have a relationship and I want this type of person, this is the type of relationship I want. This is the type of person I bring to the relationship and then follows that up with, but I never seem to find that type of person. Well, why is that? So one of those pieces typically quite often is their inability to be vulnerable because they are a, they're, they've got a lot of fear there. What if, so they've gotten stuck in that what if. So my work is to move them out of the what if and into the space of it's okay. What if will happen? And as long as we focus on what we're trying to create and bring into our lives, that what if will get much smaller and smaller and smaller. Because it's the focus on the what if that keeps that wall up, that keeps us from feeling as though and it's also this idea of perfectionism too. We have to be that many of many people feel as though if they're perfect, then everything will be okay. And don't we want to know somebody that's well? First of all, if we wait around for perfection, we'll be waiting for a very long time because it's not going to show up. It's not what we're meant to be as human beings. So vulnerability is, I think, it's just a key place to, or uh, something that we should really be very, not should, that we can be very conscious about allowing ourselves not to have all the answers and to just open our mind space and our heart space to, to the uncertainty of things happening the way they just might happen. Right. And as much as we try to resist that, yeah. guess what? It's going to happen anyway. It's going to happen the way that it's going to happen. So Yeah, I do believe that, April. I, I do believe that. So I my mother too. used to always say, it doesn't matter what happens. It only matters how you handle it. And I do believe that. I believe that too. Um, so I wanted to go back a little bit. We were talking a little bit earlier about how women can kind of find their healthy no. And I know that that personally for me took about, and, and maybe it's a long time, maybe I should have worked with an NLP person, but I feel like I really strengthened it over the past five years, but it took a while to find it, to understand it, to value my time a little bit more. Um, and to know that it was okay to say no. And you have uh, great questions um, that I just wanted to share with our listeners. And it's kind of connected to how to know when to say yes or no, but it was also about how you can choose the places and the things that you might do. And the questions that you presented in your book was, um, if you're choosing where you want to go or why you're going there, you'd want to ask yourself these questions. Is being there important to my big picture? Is it necessary for me to be there? How do I feel when deciding to be there? And do I want to be there? And, you know, I, to me, those questions in that book, I feel like were just phenomenal and great ones for people to sit back and ask, not only if they're traveling or wanting to go somewhere, but, you know, what is it that they, that they want to do even for their day? you know, and prioritizing and what feels good to bring into the day. So I really, I really love those questions and wanted to share those with our listeners if they hadn't picked up the book yet. Oh, well, I'm glad that you spoke them because it's, uh, 
it's so important, I think, particularly as women, we're taught so early on, many of us taught so early on, you know, smile, be nice, don't make waves, get along. And so <clears throat> saying no ha- is unfamiliar for, for many people, but particularly women. So in the, the exercise in there, that healthy no is they're really the first thing that we want to do. And this is really about setting boundaries. And so the first thing we want to do is we want to practice saying no. We want to get comfortable. You know, what's your tone? What's your intention behind it? Practice it in front of the mirror if you're not used to saying no. And the idea of saying no is not to be confused with being unhelpful or being that one person that we all know that just doesn't get involved and, and help things, the bigger picture or the, you know, the, the thing that the team is trying to do. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you just said about creating that framework around quality of your time spent. And if we can edit what we're doing, feeling and saying, then are the quality will vastly improve. So for many of us, it's about practicing that healthy now. And then also seeing it to believe it. So we want to, you know, again, stand in front of that mirror sometimes and say it 10 times to build the confidence and to lower that auditory barrier that from hearing the word no, if we haven't used it in our own vocabulary. And then delivering it, I believe, with the intention at the front point and with kindness and consideration and knowing that your no is another way of creating a boundary and boundaries are not meant to keep people out. They're meant to create space for yourself, your wellness and your and the, and the, and the person that you can be in the best possible way. Yeah, I remember, um, you know, before I really started integrating this and practicing this, I used to say yes very quickly. Like if somebody was presenting an idea to me or wanting to collaborate or, you know, to do something fun, I'd get so wrapped up in the moment and this idea sounds fantastic. And, you know, I'm like just living off of the energy of the conversation. I'll be like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. And then, you know, I'd go home later and I'd be like, oh gosh, well, how would I fit that in? Or, well, well, this sounds great, but do I really want to do it? And then I would do the processing after I already said yes. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think if we can learn how to feel comfortable with not saying yes immediately, that's one of the things that I had to work on and just saying, hey, can I get back to you? This sounds really wonderful, but I really need to take a look and see if this, you know, fits in for me and finding a nice way to say, hang on, let me think about this, uh, that changed my world. And that really helped me to manage my time. And then I began to fill up my time with things that were always kind of like a hell yes for me. And like, yes, I definitely want to do this. But I was allowing myself um, some space and distance from a conversation um, or from a question that was being asked or a phone call, hey, would you like to do this? And, you know, now my immediate answer is let me get back to you on that before I say an immediate yes. And then I go through my little process of, of some of those questions, you know, that you have in the book and what you were just saying. Yeah. I think what you're talking about is a pause. It's a pause button. And again, it's a habit uh, that we want to cultivate and bring forth. And that is that pause button. See that big button right in front of you that it says pause and then pause it. And one of the ways that we can do that is with those statements, you know, that sounds like a great idea. Let me get back to you. I'd love to be involved. Let me check my calendar first, that type of thing, because then it gives you a space of time to lower that reaction or, uh, you know, so that we're not just jumping in both feet. Like you said, 
saying yes first and then processing it afterwards. Right. So just being able to have that mental pause and then having a couple of key phrases that will give you the time to really see if this is something that feels right for you, something that is going to add to your big picture and something that is going to be of value to to that big picture. And again, it's about it's about clear intentions and being helpful, but having a um, a boundary around that helpful because we're talking about being overly always saying yes all the time. So finding your healthy no, and you'll notice it's a healthy no, not just a no 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 to everything. Finding your healthy no. And there's there's a, another um, extension to this too, April, and that is when we set healthy boundaries for ourselves, the other people that we're influencing in our lives, such as our children, maybe we're mentoring people coming up in in our career world or our personal life, we are now by extension teaching them how to set those boundaries as well. So you, and I always say it goes back to intention and lead with kindness and an open heart in everything that we do and let the judgment drop. Get that out of the way first. So when we when we come to a place where we st- start to develop these uh, great communication skills and we come from a loving, caring space, just think about all of the people that you're influencing in your life, that you're helping them now to set boundaries, to create really efficient communication and relationship tools. So it's 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 a trickle out. And I think that's an important part to bring up is it's not just about us. I believe we're all connected. And so what we do is going to affect others, especially those that we share the most time with in our lives. Yeah. And you gave a great metaphor in your book and it made me laugh. <laughs> you said uh, taming time is um, you said it it was um, something about how do we tame time. And you said time is like a two year old. If we don't manage it consistently, it will wreak havoc on everything in its path. And I thought, oh, that is so true. It was, I, I love that example, you know, because you could just picture that two year old, you know, and how do you tame the two year old? But time is like a two year old. Right. So it's exactly. kind of using some of these practical solutions that you suggest um, in your book here. Yeah, and, and really it is about practical uh, and mindful because they're both tools that, you know, we can, we could, the practical really sets into motion those actions and those practical behaviors that we can really make a shift and a change in a concrete way. And the mindfulness practices, the power of beliefs, the gratitude, you know, creating astonished change, astounding change, all of those things, that's about getting into your mind space, that, that resetting your mind space. I always say everything begins between the ears. So when we get that mind space and we get our thoughts clear and crystal clear about what it is that we want to create in our lives, everything will begin to follow. So it's not just about the doing, because if we don't have the motivation clear and the value behind the doing, if we don't, if we haven't explored that at least a little bit and we haven't gotten our, our mental mindful space in order, then it's not going to connect. It's when we're in alliance, both mindfully spiritually, soulfully, and in a practical way. I think all of those things follow suit. So it's about getting that mind space set, clear, so that it can add not only as a tool, but it also can create astounding change and, and you know, make the use of imagination as a real tool. So all of these things can happen when we reset our mindset 
and we couple that with practical solutions. Yeah, and maybe a nice way to end. I love this small little soundbite. It was in the beginning, I think, of chapter two, and you had wrote, you're living your life, not running a race. And that those words, that was just like, boom, you know, it's like, we have to be reminded of that. Like, where are we? Where are we running to? Why are we so busy? It's like, sit back. Like, let's live this life. Let's enjoy it. Let's, you know, look at these precious moments and be present for them. Yes. And that's so true. And I, I often say leisure has become the new lazy. It's okay to put your feet up. In fact, it's necessary for good well-being. So yeah, let's slow the pace a bit and really, as you said, enjoy and live this life. Yes. Well, Yvonne, thank you so much for this conversation. I hope the women listening got a lot out of it. I hope the men did as well. And I know too that, you know, man's mind, um, they also tend to be very solution focused. So if any men are listening and you're thinking, oh my God, they're describing my wife to a T. I think men can also take a look at this handbook, take a look at your book as a handbook of solutions if they need to help their, their wives, their partners in any way to slow down and teach them how to manage their time or maybe even buy it for them for their birthday or just, you know, a little gift and, um, you know, to help the females in their life because there's great solutions in here that definitely work. So thanks again. I really appreciated uh, this conversation that we had today. Oh, thank you, April. It was my pleasure. If you want more information about our films, visit our website, path11productions.com to purchase DVDs or to rent and stream each film. You can also find our trilogy of films on iTunes, Amazon Prime, and Gaia.com. You can still use our smartphone app for both Android and iPhones. Just search for Path 11 in the Google Play App Store, or if on an iPhone, look for Path 11 in the iOS App Store. Catch you next time.